Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of Cutthroat. We are here to fulfill your guilty pleasure of learning about serial killers. Um, over the course of this podcast, we are going to be talking about um, murderers like Ted Bundy, Jack the Ripper, Jeffrey Dahmer, many other people like that. And we're going to not just graze over the surface of what they've done in their terrible acts, but we want to dig deeper into what made them this way, what happened in their childhood that led them to make these choices like this. Um, We're going to answer questions like, are we all potentially serial killers? Is there something that happens in a person's life that flips a switch in their mind? Um, And we are also going to learn about why we as a population and a society are so interested in these terrible people. I mean, these people murdered dozens of innocent victims and we almost praise them in a way. We have TV shows, movies, um, series, documentaries. There's YouTube videos about them. I mean, they cover all sorts of platforms. Surprisingly, one out of every five serial killers is female. And if you really take that into account, that's a lot of people. But somehow as a society, we kind of push that fact to the side and we decided that, nope, they're all male. It's only males. They're killing females. That's what happens. But when, when in reality, that's not really the case. Um, one of the most famous female serial killers is Belle Gunness. Um, she was a Norwegian-American serial killer. Um, Belle was a Norwegian immigrant that came to America in 1881 and had married a fellow Norwegian immigrant, which then fell to be her first victim. No one knows how many husbands <laughs> Belle killed, but her killing spree came to an end in 1908 in a barn fire, which killed her and all of her children. Um, and they did do DNA tests on the corpse, but not, um, they were inconclusive. Um, Belle Gunness married her first husband, Mad Sorensen, in 1884. He was a local businessman, and which is very... So her husband at the time had purchased two life insurance policies, both policies were active at the same time, and as one would expire, the next one would begin. And what's crazy is on that day, he died of a cerebral hemorrhage. On that day, he died of a cerebral hemorrhage. Um, Gennis, his wife, and the serial killer, explained that he came home with a headache and she gave him something for the pain, and then she later came to check on him and he was just dead. She then collected both the money from the expiring life insurances and she made a total of $5,000, which in 1884 was a lot of money. She then married Peter Gunnis, who then she took his name. Um, he died eight months later due to a skull injury. And she explained later that Peter reached for something on a high shelf and the meat grinder fell on him, smashing his skull. And his death was ruled an accident. Now, I don't think that um, this page says, Masses of human bone wrapped in loose flesh that dripped like jelly from trash-covered depressions proved to be graves. This insinuates that Gunness might have taken her victims and decapitated them, removed the arms and legs, 
and almost butchered the bodies, thrown them in sacks, and buried them in little divots in the ground, almost as makeshift graves. But many of the skulls that were found also had um, gashes in them were found and had blunt, had, many of the skulls found had blunt trauma and gashes. And they were also separated from the bodies, which then also links to the deaths of her two husbands before. Um, during the first day of the investigation, the police found five bodies on the first day and six on the second in some different graves around the property, some with the pigs in the pig pen and some under the ground just around the house. Um, the police then decided to stop counting the new bodies and trying to put them all together. At that moment, that's why there's no definitive number of people that she did kill of her vic there's no definitive number of her victims it was also known that guinness had placed advertisements seeking male companionship and then once the men would come to her farm she would murder and rob the ones that came um this was all found out after she died of course it is also stated that she did ask a man to burn down her farmhouse with her children inside. Which is not something that people with a rational state of mind would say or, and I mean, any of these actions no one rationally would do at all. But... It is assumed that she did plan to have her house destroyed, fake her own death, and flee. So her real death has never been known. I think that this... I think Belle Guinness is especially interesting because really until she died and the investigation began, um, she was assumed to be someone, a heroine. Um, she was assumed to be a hero who tried to save her children's lives from a burning from their burning house, yet she couldn't, and she died in the process. She was almost a martyr in a way. But soon, that title was ripped away from her when the bodies were found, and um, many people came out about how they interacted with her and um, things like that. She goes from being a widow of two to a serial killer and someone who is mentally not in the right space. But this all happened in the 1800, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, which proves that this type of behavior that we have seen um, with Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer relatively, which are relatively um, recent, it's not new behavior. It's not something that has been developed somehow because of technology or something corrupting people's minds. That this type of erratic, irrational behavior that serial killers have has been going on for a long time and it is something that is not new which i think is very interesting one of the more famous and well-known killers that our podcast will be talking about is a man named john wayne gacy gacy was an average illinois man with a wife friends family and a job but what people didn't know about him was his dark secret gacy was a registered sex offender as of 1968 for the molestation of a teenage boy, which is likely where his obsession started. Known as the Killer Clown, Gacy worked as a clown for children's birthday parties and other events. His targets were young teenage boys. Gacy was often known to sexually assault and or rape these boys before killing them and stowing them in a crawl space under his house. 
Gacy was convicted of over 33 murders, the most America has ever seen at that time. Nearly 22 bodies were found under his house and in a nearby lake that he confessed throwing bodies into. Gacy was sentenced to death on March 13th of 1980 and soon died via lethal injection on May of 1994. Several novels, films, and documentaries have been written about his terrible acts, and people still wonder why to this day he murdered so many young men. Ted Bundy was a 1970s serial murderer, rapist, and necrophiliac. He was executed in Florida's electric chair in 1989. His case has, has since inspired many novels and films about serial killers. Bundy graduated from the University of Washington with a degree in psychology in 1972. He had been accepted to law school in Utah, but he never earned his degree. While a student at the University of Washington, Bundy fell in love with a wealthy, pretty young woman from California. She had everything that he wanted, money, class, and influence. He was devastated by their breakup. Many of Bundy's later victims resembled his college girlfriend, attractive students with long, dark hair. By the mid-70s, mid Bundy had transformed him himself, becoming more outwardly confident and active in social and political matters. He even got a letter of recommendation from the Republican governor of Washington after working on his campaign. About his victims, Bundy confessed to 36 killings of young women across several states in the 1970s, but experts believe that the final number may be closer to 100 or more. The exact number of women Bundy killed will never be known. His killings usually followed a gruesome pattern. He often raped his victims before beating them to death. While there is some debate as to when Bundy started killing, most sources say that he began his murderous rampage around 1974. Around this time, many women in the Seattle area and in nearby Oregon went missing. Stories circulated about some of the victims last being seen in the company of a young, dark-haired man known as Ted. He often lured his victims into his car by pretending to be injured and asking for their help. Their kindness proved to be a fatal mistake. In the fall of 1974, Bundy moved to Utah to attend law school, and women began disappearing there as well. The following year, he was pulled over by the police. A search of his vehicle uncovered a crowbar, a face mask, rope, and handcuffs. He was arrested for possession of these tools, and the police began to link him to much more sinister crimes. In 1975, Bundy was arrested in the kidnapping of Carol Derange, one of the few women to escape his clutches. He was convicted and received a 1-15 to 15 year jail sentence. Bundy escaped from prison twice in 1977. The first time he was indicted on murder charges for the death of a young Colorado woman and decided to act as his own lawyer in the case. During a trip to the courthouse library, he jumped out a window and made his first escape. He was captured eight, day, eight days later. In December, Bundy escaped from custody again. In December, Bundy escaped from custody again. He climbed out of a hole he made in the ceiling of his cell, having dropped more than 30 pounds to feed through the small opening. Authorities did not discover that Bundy was missing for 15 hours, giving the serial killer a big head start on the police. After Bundy's second escape from prison, he eventually made his way to Florida. On the night of January 14, 1978, Bundy broke into the Chai Omega sorority house at Florida State University. He attacked four of the young female residents, killing two of them. On February 9, 9th, Bundy kidnapped and murdered a 12-year-old girl named Kimberly Leach. These crimes marked the end of his murderer's rampage, as he was soon pulled over by the police that February. 
The most damning evidence connecting Bundy to the Chai Omega murders at FSU were bite marks on one of the bodies, which were a definite, definitive match to Bundy. Bundy's good looks, charm, and intelligence made him something of a celebrity during his trial. Bundy fought for his life, but was convicted and spent nine years on death row, appealing his death sentence. In July 1979, Bundy was convicted for the two Chai Omega murders at FSU. He was given the death penalty twice. He received another death sentence in 1980 for the murders of Kimberly Leach. Bundy appealed, trying to take his case as high as the U.S. Supreme Court, but he was turned down. He also offered information on some of unsolved murders to avoid Florida's electric chair. But he could not delay justice forever and was executed in 1989. In 1969, Bundy began a six-year relationship with Elizabeth Klopfer, whom he met in a Seattle bar. Klopfer was a single mom of a young daughter and struggled with alcoholism. Bundy took care of her and she said he was warm and loving. By 1974, Klopfer started to suspect Bundy's crimes. When she questioned him about odd behaviors like keeping a meat cleaver in his desk, he used his charm to deflect, deflect her concerns. Klopfer secretly went to the police with her suspicion of Bundy's involvement in prominent local murders, but they didn't believe he was the killer. The pair remained together, although they grew distant when Bundy moved to Olympia the following year. In 1975, Klopfer went to the police again, this time with evidence that helped them to arrest the serial killer. Bundy had confessed to Klopfer over the phone from his prison cell that he had tried to kill her and couldn't resist his impulses when he felt his sickness building in him. In February 1980, Bundy married Carol Ann, a mother of two whom he dated before his initial arrest, in a courtroom during the penalty phase of his trial. He proposed and she accepted in the presence of the judge, making the marriage legitimate in Florida. The couple had met six years earlier when they both worked at the Department of Emergency Services in Olympia, Washington. Carol gave birth to a daughter, Rose, in 1982, and she named Bundy as the father. Not much is known about Rose today. Carol eventually realized Bundy was guilty of the crimes. She divorced him three years prior to his execution, according to Rose's book, A Stranger Beside Me. Carol stopped visiting Bundy during the last two years of his imprisonment. On January 24, 1989, Bundy was executed around 7 a.m. at the Florida State Prison in an electric chair, sometimes known as Old Sparky. Outside the prison, crowds cheered and even set off fireworks after Bundy's execution. Bundy's body was cremated in Gainesville and no public ceremony was held. Before he was executed, he requested his ashes be scattered in the Cascade Mountains of Washington State, where he murdered at least four of his victims. An infamous national figure since his Florida trials, Bundy's life have, has been subject of countless books and documentaries trying to shed light on this brutal killer's crimes. Well-known movies include The Deliberate Stranger was a 1986 television movie featured actor Mark Harmon as Bundy. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile debuted in 2019 at the Sundance Film Festival with Zac Efron as Bundy and Lily Collins as Klopfer. The film's title comes from Judge Edward Coward's post-sentencing remarks to Bundy. Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy Dapes, was released that same year. The documentary featured archival footage and audio recordings of Bundy made on death row along with present-day interviews. Books. Several notable books have been published on Bundy's crimes, including 
The Stranger Beside Me, Ted Bundy, The Shocking Inside It Story, published in 1980 by Rule, a co-worker of Bundy's at a crisis hotline. Rule describes how she gradually realized Bundy was a serial killer and then draws from their ongoing correspondence, which lasted until just shortly before Bundy's execution. The Phantom Prince, My Life with Ted Bundy, was written by Bundy's ex-girlfriend Clapper about dating and, lo and loving a serial killer. It was published in 1981 while he was on death row. Ted Bundy, Conversation with a Killer, published in 1989 by author Stephen Michaud and journalist Hugh Ainsworth. This collection of stories was created from more than 150 hours of interviews with Bundy. Defending the Devil, My Story as Dead Bundy's Last Lawyer, published in 1994, was written by Polly Nelson, a newly minted, a newly minted lawyer who was offered Bundy's case pro bono by the Washington, D.C. law firm, where she worked just weeks before he was scheduled to be executed. I Survived Ted Bundy, The Attack, Escape, and PTSD That Changed My Life, published in 2016 by Rhonda Stapley, who was brutally attacked by Bundy in Utah in 1974, but survived, and after battling PTSD, wrote a book about her experience. One serial killer that interests me most that I'll be talking about for this podcast is Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer interests me for a few reasons, but without getting too deep into those reasons, I'm going to be just giving a basic overview of his life starting in early childhood and going throughout his teenage years into his adult life. Dahmer was born in 1960 in Ohio in what looked like a normal childhood. He was always described as a happy kid, but that seemed to change once he went through a couple childhood surgeries and he became very distant from his family when his little brother was born. His family often moved around a lot. And by the time he was a teenager, he was often seen without friends, and he was a very lonely kid. His parents' divorce had seemingly started an uh, alcohol problem. He was deemed an alcoholic by college and dropped out of Ohio State after his first semester. He then enlisted into the Army, but was discharged soon later after he could not get his drinking under control. By the time of 1986, he was arrested three times and had yet to serve any jail time. Dahmer had committed a total of 17 murders by the time he was caught and sentenced to 15 life sentences in jail, where he would only end up serving two years before he was killed by another inmate. He pleaded insanity in court while describing his horrific acts he had done to the men he had killed. Police had found freezers full of severed limbs and jars with body parts in them. He even admitted to keeping the body parts as trophies. To this day, he is still one of the most notorious and confused serial killers that had ever lived. I think... A couple of reasons why people um, focus on Jeffrey Dahmer is because he had, you know, a somewhat normal childhood that turned pretty bad pretty quickly. Um, he was always seemed happy growing up until age four, like I said, until he became distant with his family after surgeries, and then when his little brother was born, he almost just um, separated himself from everyone. Uh, one of the weird things I thought about Jeffrey Dahmer was that he would commit sexual acts with his victims before he would kill them. He often took pictures to keep them as trophies. Over the past couple of months, there's been many TV shows, documentaries, movies out about serial killers and these terrible people. So why do you think today's society is so obsessed with serial killers? 
Yeah, so I I think there are probably several reasons for this. It might not be just just one reason in particular. Um, in in one sense, I think it's it might be similar to why many of us crave horror movies in general. There's just a, a certain uh, macabre or, or macabre thrill to being scared, and it also allows us, I think, to to view death and fear from uh, somewhat of a safe distance. So. There's, there's definitely that entertainment value to it. Uh, but I also think there's just a general curiosity about this kind of stuff as well. We're, we're fascinated by the uniqueness of serial killers and how different they, they seem to be. Um, in fact, I, I've read that it's been estimated that at any one time, there are probably only about 25 to 50 active serial killers on the loose. And they make up only about 1% of all murders annually. Wow. And yet the combination of this overblown media coverage and our curiosity with them, I think, really helps to drive up this interest in somewhat of a, a disproportionate way. Um, and then finally, the, the last thing I'd add to that, and this is maybe where even a little bit more of the psychology comes in, I think there's definitely a human element to this. We, we want to understand the reasons why a person would kill other humans in cold blood. And, and usually when we're talking about serial killers, there's there's no motive or no kind of emotional reason for it. And so that seems so foreign to most of us. And yet at the same time, uh, if, you, if you do a little digging and, and study up on this, a lot of serial killers leave uh, strangely normal everyday lives. And so this apparent juxtaposition, I think, fascinates us uh, as humans. And so for, for some, I'd even go a little bit farther and say there, there could even be a cathartic aspect to it in which we're allowed to live vicariously through these killers since we ourselves would would never really do anything like this. Um, for case in point, I think this also explains why the, the anti-hero genre has become such a popular uh, television show protagonist in recent years. I'm thinking back to, you know, shows like Dexter or, or Breaking Bad, and it's just kind of, yeah. I feel like, just kind of ballooned from there. I think that does set... Um, most people apart from from serial killers is that emotional aspect of it that and and I even use that term cold-blooded that's kind of where that comes from is kind of a essentially a lack of emotion so in your opinion who is the most known serial killer and why do you think that as a society we've claimed this person the most notorious um yeah that's a a, a good question as well I you know to be honest I I in my opinion, I don't know that there is one most famous serial killer. I'm sure if you ask different people, they'd have kind of their own response to that. But as, as someone who doesn't necessarily um, study this per se, just kind of looking at it from a kind of general psychologist lens, I, I think that when most people think of serial killers, the most common names that kind of jump to my mind, you had mentioned Ted Bundy, um, also thinking of like Jeffrey Dahmer, John Wayne Gacy, uh, and Charles Manson. Those are probably the most prevalent names that, that come to mind. And I'm not sure why that is, but I do know that I, I believe all of them have had multiple books and or movies or TV shows based off of their cases. Uh, in fact, I think the Silence of the Lambs, the, the famous uh, movie from back in the early 90s was, was based off of, not exactly, but I think based off of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer at least one of the characters in there. So perhaps that's partly responsible for, for driving their, their fame or maybe I should say rather their, their infamy. Um, I will say though, it's interesting you even asked the question like, uh, 
which is the most famous, I think you kind of put in there uh, uh, the he or the him. It, it's interesting to me that almost all of the most well-known serial killers are white males. And yeah. I think if you do a little digging, in reality, the demographics of who is a serial killer do tend to run much more similar to the overall population demographic. So there definitely are or have been serial killers of, of other races, other cultural backgrounds. Um, but for whatever reason, it's the, the white males that tend to get most of the, uh, the, the publicity. Do you think that we are all potential serial killers? Or do you believe that it takes a specific type of person or a specific scenario in someone's life to lead them down that path? <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I, I do really like this question. I think this is a, a great question to ponder, especially from a um, kind of a, a psychological perspective. And I, I think it really gets back to one of the primary we, reasons why I mentioned this stuff fascinates us so much from that, that kind of human perspective. Because um, in my mind, theoretically, I think we're all capable of doing things we would never think possible. And just a simple review of social psychology research shows so many glaring examples of how powerful the, the situation that we're in can be in determining what we do in any given moment. Um, in fact, this is one reason why I always like to remind myself this, um, there's a famous phrase there, but for the grace of God go I. Just kind of thinking like, you know, never look down on, on someone else or why they do, because you never know the situations or the context that may have led them to to certain acts. Um, now, that being said, before I go too far down that path of, yes, we could all be serial killers, most serial killers, in addition to being shaped maybe by some trauma and life experiences, have a very unique brain uh, or brain differences that set them apart from the average person. For, for example, there's typically little to no activation in their amygdala and ventral medial prefrontal cortex. And these are areas of the brain that specifically control emotion and emotional decision-making. So this could explain why they're able to commit atrocious, atrocious acts and know that they're wrong without necessarily feeling that they are wrong, if, if that makes sense. Um, and, and this is, again, even where terms like cold-blooded uh, come from. One interesting connection that I'll just add to this is that many extreme thrill seekers like rock climbers, race car drivers, um, other extreme sports like that also tend to have lower amygdala activation. And the advantage of this is it allows their anxiety levels to remain low in these dangerous situations. But that also means that they need to push to those extremes on a more regular basis just to feel any kind of rush of adrenaline at all. Uh, now, the, the caveat that I want to leave with here is I'm not suggesting that, um, you know, just because you're a thrill seeker means that you're more susceptible to, to becoming a serial killer than, than anyone else. Um, and I, I think as much as I, my limited knowledge of this, as much as we know, there's still a lot we don't know about what actually makes a serial killer kill. Is today's violence the same as it was around 30 years ago? Yeah. So, I think while, while the perception of violence has definitely increased, mm -hmm. I would say over the last 30 years, actual rates of violence have in fact steadily declined. Um, if you look at murder rates in the US, they've actually hit, they tended to hit, a, I think they hit a peak in like the late 80s to early 90s. Yeah. And are much lower today. 
But I think because of the increased access to things like 24-hour news, social media, and um, you know some of the the, the shows or, or documentaries that are out now, I know earlier you had mentioned like Netflix seems to every day be putting out another true crime documentary. I, I think that makes it easy for us to think that violence has increased. Um, and, and I'll just pull, I know there was a um, stat that came out or, or a comment that came out uh, just a couple years ago that uh, from uh, the, the Brennan Center for Justice that mentioned that the average person in a large urban area is actually much safer walking down the street today than he or she would have been at almost any time in the past 30 years. So, um, you know, really right back to, to your question of is, is violence the same it was 30 years ago? I would say in general, it the world seems to be a safer place now, or at least America seems to be a safer place now than it was 30 years ago. But but maybe the perception doesn't live up to that. So what's the difference between mass killers and serial killers? By Just by definition, a, a mass killer is going to be someone who kills a large amount of people at one time. And usually it's only that one instance. Whereas with serial killers, these are people who kill multiple individuals separately over a long period of time. So in, in many cases, mass killers are, are going to be driven much more by emotion, whether it be revenge or anger or, um, or, or hatred, whereas serial killers often don't seem to have a clear motive and are characterized actually by an extreme lack of emotion. Um, the, the clinical term to describe most serial killers is what's known as psychopathy, which falls under a form of antisocial personality disorder. They, they tend to be more egocentric and, and can even be very charming and, and manipulative. Um, you talk about, for instance, someone like Ted Bundy. That's, I, I think that's one of the reasons why he was able to unfortunately get so many victims is he would actually, he was, he was able to, to lure, um, uh, to, to lure innocent women into his car. Um, because again, he, he, there was nothing alarming about him at, at first glance. Um, however, I, I also want to mention here that, that not all psychopaths are killers. Oh. Mass killers, on the other hand, do not usually fit this description, at least as far as I know. They, they tend to be more driven by trauma and personal circumstances and, and are often more of an outcast who, who don't feel like they belong or fit into society. So you, I, I think you can definitely see some differences in terms of uh, rationale or, or kind of the, the makeup of, say, a mass killer versus a serial killer. A lot of times they are both going to be premeditated, where even though a mass killer might be more based out of, out of rage or uh, revenge, it still is something that typically, you know, you're, they're, they're kind of plotting a course of action mm. um, ahead of time, the same way serial killers do in terms of kind of strategizing and planning and, and, and plotting out what they're going to do. So there's clearly a knowledge of what they're doing. It's not like they're just becoming necessarily unhinged in the moment. Um, but, but I still definitely see some, some stark differences uh, b between the two for sure. And, and I think the most, the most striking one being that emotional, if anything, I would say mass killers have almost more extreme emotion that is leading towards what they do, whereas serial killers have almost the opposite, where there's literally no emotion. As we talked about, there's almost a biological 
um, lack of ability for emotion. And that's what leads them to be so cold and calculated yet not have any remorse and not, um, you know, have similar kind of physiological responses that we might. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've seen a lot of mass killers that actually kill themselves after killing a lot of people. So. Yeah, you're right. And that, and, and that's true too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very rare that you see serial killers that will, will take their, their own life. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that has to go back to that emotional piece where serial killers, you, you know, for the most part, they're, they're not going to feel remorse um, because again, that's, that's a feeling, that's an emotion. Whereas mass killers oftentimes will feel either some remorse or at least they, they have the, I think the foresight to, to maybe realize that even if in the moment, if they don't feel remorse, like they, they, they still feel the, the pain of what they're doing in, in, a, in a lot of cases. So statistically speaking, only one out of every five serial killers is a female, which would be very surprising to some people. Yeah, um, so I know we, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier with the, the one yeah. out of five statistic being kind of the one place where that goes away from the, the general demographics and I, I think um, one way to look at this is that there are actually far more violent crimes overall committed by males than females. In fact, I think the, the statistics, they might vary slightly, but I, I believe it's about 90% of violent crimes or homicides are committed by men. And almost all mass shooters, we just talked about the difference between mass shooters and, um, and serial killers, almost all mass shooters are male. So, compared to those numbers, then all of a sudden that one in five figure for female serial killers actually looks like a little bit higher proportion than might be expected overall. And, and I'm not exactly sure, to be honest, what, what can explain that. I think the, the easiest way to explain the disproportionate homicide rate is that in general is that males just are naturally more physically aggressive Mm -hmm. than, than females. However, like I said, this doesn't fully explain the rates of serial killers since we just finished talking about how emotion doesn't play as big a role for serial killers. So that's um, maybe the, the best I can uh, respond to that. But um, just one quickly, one last thing that I'll mention. There's a research study that just came out last year by some researchers at Penn State that showed that male serial killers are actually much more likely to kill people they don't know whereas female serial killers are much more likely to kill people they do know. And the head researcher, um, uh, Marissa Harrison, had suggested that that may have something to do with our distant ancestors, where historically men hunted animals as prey and women kind of stayed close by the home and gathered nearby resources. So she suggested that these gender differences possibly could relate to even certain evolutionary processes. Um, so I'm not sure that completely answers your question, but wow. um, yeah, I, I don't know why though they women serial killers would, would tend to target mostly men. So I, I don't necessarily have a great answer for that. My name's Cassidy. Um, I'm the host and I'm the community manager. There's Chase, who is the researcher. Mark is the writer. Agapi, who is our production manager. And Henry, who is our audio engineer. We have been working for weeks on this podcast and we are so excited for everybody to listen to this first episode. On the next episode of Cutthroat, we're gonna be diving into the childhoods of these serial killers and you won't wanna miss that.